1: Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen.
0: See my pleading die. The scripture readings from Hebrews, two sections, uh, Hebrews Hebrews 2:14 through 18, which can be found on page 1002 on your Pew Bible, and then Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16, which is just right across on the next page. Let us hear the word of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews four, fourteen through sixteen. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Word of our Lord.
1: Let's ask the Lord to help us as we come to His Word. Lord, thank you, praise you for your word. May it build us up, may it nourish us, may it, Lord, present you to us, that we may uh, lay hold of you all the more in our lives, that we may uh, bring honor to your name by our lives. Oh, bless us, Lord. We pray it for your glory. Amen. Before I start, I wanted to thank Elizabeth and Wade for uh, leading in music with uh, Jacob being gone, and of course, always, all of our musicians, they do such a great job. Uh, thank you for your work and excellent leadership. Um, this, this passage is, we've, we've been dealing with Hebrews for the past three weeks. This is the first mention of the word high priest, and for a lot of people, the word high priest is not going to be filled with a lot of emotion uh, and passion, uh, but it doesn't mean just because you don't maybe know the word, it's not familiar, that 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 role of high priest is not critically important. You can imagine, uh, say, a, a South American uh, Indian tribe that is back off in the jungle somewhere and a, a bunch of villages surrounding it, and a doctor comes to the area and They've never heard of a doctor. They don't know what the the word doctor means. But after 10 years, uh, skin diseases are at a minimum. Uh, Tuberculosis is in remission among the tribe. Uh, The uh, child death is down. Uh, Pregnancies are safer. Everything is just on the rise, including their diet and general hygiene. It's just amazing what's happened in that place in 10 years Well, they didn't even know what a doctor was. So the same with this word, high priest. It is one of the most critical words to us. It's kind of like that old joke you've heard in the backwoods. They're all discussing this backwoods church, and they're all discussing uh, getting new chandeliers for the church. And one old guy stands up and he says, I'm against them chandeliers. I'm against it for three reasons. First is nobody can spell it, and the second is nobody can play it, and the third is we need some lights for the church, right? They have no idea, right? And maybe you have no idea what a high priest is, but it's critical because high priest, a priest, is one who represents a human being and represents them before God, and the ultimate work of the priest is to bring you into favor with God. Now, that's, that's huge. You can't even say how big that is. That a priest is the one appointed by God to bring you ultimately into the favor of God. Well, that's everything. That's all of life. That's all of history. That, that's the whole future in eternity, is to be in the favor of God. A priest is critical for every one of us, or we die, okay? Now, we have a lot of stray ideas about forgiveness, and we we tend to think that forgiveness comes easy. Uh, I could just say to God, You know, Lord, I know I've done some wrong things. I'm not perfect and ask you to forgive me. And we just hope we can get on with it, you know, with just a kind of bare minimal talk about how sinful we are. And it's very hard to hear that God had to punish someone in our place, that he had to pour out eternal wrath on someone because our sin was so devastating, so horrible. We don't like to admit that. We don't, like, we don't like the means of forgiveness. That's why Christ is such an offense to us because it, it, it's wonderful news in the end that we can be completely forgiven of our sin, but it's devastating news for, for many of us at the beginning to hear that we're that bad. i ashamed to say that in college when I was first hearing about the righteousness of Christ and how the only way you could be accepted before God is if His righteousness is put to your account and then you stand in that righteousness and God accepts you for the sake of His righteousness. I remember in kind of my 60s idiotic funk, you know, I remember thinking, I'm offended that God doesn't accept me for who I am. I really said that. I remember walking down the street saying, I'm offended that God didn't just accept me for who I am. He has to accept me because of the righteousness of Christ. That seemed to be beneath me, you know. Because we always accept each other because we just accept you for who you are. You know, we all do that among ourselves, and so why won't God do that? Now I'm just shudder to think that I thought that. But that was my pride. And really... (laughs) In some way, I'm not saying it's exactly like this, but in some way, we all come to a point where we're rather devastated about how sinful we are before God. Uh, I just saw recently a part of Spider-Man 2, and in that movie, there's a doctor, well, he's called by the newspaper guy, Dr. Octopus, okay, so he... He has these metal arms that are attached to his spine and he, he he plans to do good with this powerful mechanism that he has. And he has this chip that's supposed to guard it from ever controlling his lower being and it, it's supposed to be controlled by his higher being. Well, the chip gets destroyed and uh, he he gets knocked out and they have him on the surgical table about to try to get rid of that mechanism. And the mechanism itself takes over and kills everybody in the surgical room. Like eight or ten people that are there to try to you know, heal him and get this thing off of him. And he's just out cold as these arms are killing everybody around him. And he wakes up and he looks around him and just goes, oh, no. Because <laughs> he realizes that he is under the dominion of this evil thing now. And... He gets more and more infected by it. And in some way, that's that's what happens to every one of us. We realize how little we really have loved people. We realize how little we've really loved God and trusted God and made Him the center of our life. How much we've served ourselves. And we kind of look at our life and go, oh, no. And then... A priest is the most valuable thing in the world to us. Someone that could bring such as me into the favor of God. You mean there could be a priest for me? And so, here, the writer of Hebrews talks about this great high priest. The background, as some of you know, is the Old Testament And though there were offerings all the time in the Old Testament, every morning, every evening, there were lambs sacrificed. Uh, In Hebrews, the particular background for what he's talking about is once a year on the Day of Atonement, as the people were in the outer court and the other priests were making sacrifice on the altar, and they would come into the, the holy place to do ministry. But once a year... The high priest would... And in Jewish literature, he's literature called the great priest. And So when he's, Jesus is called the great high priest, it's, it's like saying the great, great priest, uh, Jesus Christ, separating him even from the, the high priest. But once a year, the high priest, sacrifice of the animal, and then the blood would be taken into this holy place. And in that holy place... There was a a box called the Ark of the Covenant that had the covenant between God and His people and huge uh, cherubim with their wings touching in the middle that represented the host of God, the angels of God. And so it was a picture of heaven. And there above the cherubim, it's spoken of several times, there dwelt God or the manifestation of God. And so this was a model... Of what was to come. It's kind of like a, if, if an architect gives you a model of the way this block is going to be redone with uh, retail and, and some condominiums and office space and several parks, and it's all sitting there in a model. Well, that's not the real thing, but it's a model of what's coming. This this thing that was done every year, in which an animal was sacrificed and its blood was brought into this place that represented the presence of God, that was a model, and it was a, an active model uh, that was carried out year after year after year. But in the very nature of its uh, of the case, it pointed to the fact that. This doesn't quite do the job, or this, this doesn't in, in any way accomplish the final uh, forgiveness. Because here are all the people outside. They're not inside. One man goes inside to that model of the heavenly place. and. Jewish history tells us that they would tie a rope to that guy because sometimes they wouldn't make the offering the way they should or they were improper about something and they would die in the presence of God and they had to be drug out. Because nobody else could go in or you would die, right? So the fact that it was repeated year after year and these other sacrifices day and night, day and night, pointed to the fact that we're just holding this at bay in a sense. We're just waiting, pointing forward to something that will completely take away sin. This is the model. It's not the real thing. And so, this is the real thing that he's speaking about. But that's the background, is the high priest uh, of the Old Testament that made this sacrifice once a year. Now, there four aspects of this... Uh, High priestly work of Christ that we want to look at: uh, access, sympathy, mercy, and help. It's an easy acronym. As m- no, it's just <laughs> always like good acronyms. Uh, so, <clears throat> but access, uh, sympathy, mercy, and help. Now, I put access first because that's what we've been talking about most in this introduction is access to God. Well, with Jesus Christ, this high priest of God, there is immediate access. And these two passages, they're separated by a chapter or two, but they're talking about basically the same thing, and that's why I want to treat them together. And I go all the way to the end... As he says in verse sixteen, chapter four, verse sixteen, and we 'll return to this at the at the end of the talk, but um, let us with, then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Now, this is not just a high priest in just a model of heaven, it's you being addressed, you being commanded. And you being commanded in the present tense, constantly draw near you yourself to the throne of grace. You go in the real place, the real presence of God, where you will find grace to help in time of need. And so there is immediate access This is spoken of as well when it says in verse 14 of chapter 4, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. And in Hebrews 7, it speaks about him going to the place that's higher than the heavens. Or in Ephesians 4, far above all the heavens. Well, this is just a way to say that he is highly exalted into the very presence of God. But in this case, it's not just him It's Him and us. It's all of us. It's y'all, as we say in Alabama, right? It's everyone that gets access into the very place, the very presence of God. And so, you draw near again and again. You draw near continually. And you have freedom of speech before God. That is amazing. You have freedom of speech before God. You come and make your need known. You come and pour out your heart in the very presence of this God. You be persistent in prayer. You be confident in prayer. He says, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Not with fear that you may die in his presence, but with confidence pour out your heart in the very presence of God. And you're, you're, it is understood that you have been made acceptable. You will be graciously received. You, through Christ, have the full favor of God. Come. Come into His intimate presence. Let nothing hold you back. Just like we sang in our, our glorious hymn, the invitation hymn that we sang Invitation to come into the presence of God and receive forgiveness. And it's because, as he says in chapter 2, he's a faithful, merciful priest to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The propitiation, that's a a word you use every day. Um, Propitiation simply means that he has so acted to remove sin from from us so that we are not guilty of that sin and to remove the wrath of God so that we will not suffer the wrath of God. So we are not guilty, we will not be held responsible for our sin. What? You're always held responsible for things you do. I will not be held responsible in the judgment day For my sin, because Jesus Christ has suffered for my sin. And He has stood in the place and borne the wrath of God. Therefore, I will not bear the wrath of God. This is what Israel never enjoyed is this free access into the very presence of God. And you don't earn it. You don't get it because you're better than someone or that you're good at all. You you have it as our hymn that we sang said, Come, you sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. You come as you are. You come to receive forgiveness. And you come and you have access to God forever through the work of Jesus Christ. What a priest! What a priest that brings you into that access. But not only is there access, there is sympathy. This is huge in this passage. Uh, There's a double negative in chapter 4 where he says, we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize. Now, when they do that, it's a way to emphasize the fact. We really, really have a priest who really, really sympathizes with us. That's the point he's making by this double negative. Even though he has passed through the heavens, even though he is in the presence of God, he is a priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And this is emphasized in chapter 2 when he says... In verse 17, he had to be like, made like his brothers in every respect. In the original, it says, therefore, in every respect, he had to be made like his brothers. So it puts it up front and says, in every way possible, he was made like his brothers. In every way. And, and in chapter 4, verse 15, again, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, perhaps an illustration will help in some way, although it's not perfect and complete. But imagine uh, a one-mile sheer cliff, and Christ himself has climbed barehanded that whole cliff. And the agony and the difficulty, and time and time again, he was utterly, absolutely exhausted And he continued to do it. And time and time again, his hands were so cut and his feet were so cut and his knees were so bruised. And every bone in his body ached. But he continued to climb and continued and continued. And he gets to the top. And now he's got a block and tackle at the top. And you are hooked to it. And he is pulling you up the cliff face. And with that pulling, with that strength that you get, you are climbing with that help that he has given you. Now, when you get exhausted, you can know he's been exhausted just like that. And when your hands are about to break and there's, your hands are blooded and your knees are blooded, you know his hands and his knees were blooded. Far worse than mine because he didn't have any help from anybody Uh, it, It like I have help. It was his own strength by the grace of God. And he did it perfectly when I'm doing it in such a failing way. But hopefully that at least gives you a picture. He was tested to the absolute limit. And anything that you will experience on that cliff face, he's experienced in a greater degree. And He's pulling you. He's encouraging you. He's strengthening you. He's telling you that you will make it and and He is yours and He will hold on to you so that He is with us in all of our experiences and all of our suffering and all of our temptations. It's like if you were to lose an arm and somebody brought, by your house to encourage you and strengthen you, somebody that had lost both of their arms. And they're saying, Let me tell you how I've done it. How hugely encouraging. And maybe that person met with you for several years to help you and encourage you, to strengthen you. That's the idea here, you see. That whatever you've experienced, he's gone to the full to experience. The the language here is that he's quite the same as we are in all of life's manifestation. All of the consequences of being a human, the full experience of suffering and temptation, he has gone through it. The idea of being completely like someone, like twins, and yet not just outwardly, but completely like us in our humanity and the suffering And yet, that encouraging word in chapter 4, yet without sin, yet without sin. He's really able to help us, which we'll get to, because he's done so without sin. As Voss says, without, in his case, There's been no result of sin, even though he has suffered the same things and gone through the same temptations, tested in every way. And there's a special emphasis uh, on the suffering uh, in verse 18. It's because of the suffering he's called to by the Father that he experienced such agonizing temptation, particularly the temptation to turn away from that suffering, to, to, to relieve himself from suffering and pain. In in the hardest time it is to obey when you're hurting the most and you still are supposed to give yourself away in love to people. When you've lost everything, but still you're to give yourself away and find the joy of love. That's what Christ did to the end. Faithful high priest. He never turned away. Never turned away. Even to the end. And he's equipped... In, in this way, as he could be in no other way, to help just ordinary, suffering, sinful people. God's gone to that extent to provide you with a priest who is not only giving you this access, but there's this kind of access, the access in a sense to his heart and he to your heart. For him to experience all of that so he knows what it feels like. He knows what it feels like to be tempted and to suffer. And it's interesting, he's made like his brothers, verse 17, which recalls in verse 11, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed to completely take on your experience so that he can completely meet your need. And another key word is mercy, isn't it? We have access and sympathy and mercy. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. And we read in chapter 4, verse 16, that we will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It is called a throne of grace. Isn't that amazing that the throne of God is defined in this way for you? It's a throne of grace. Whoa. The throne of God is defined now as a throne of grace. Nowhere in the Old Testament are the priests called merciful, but this priest is merciful. It's interesting, Yahweh is called merciful and this one who is son of god is none other than yahweh he was merciful they were merciful to plan our salvation he was merciful it was mercy that brought him to this world it was mercy that made him continue all through his life even to the point of the cross to bear our sin that's the reason he was so faithful to us cuz he's so merciful <laughs> He's so faithful not to turn away from saving us when it would have been to His comfort and relief. But no, He was merciful and faithful to the point where He drank that cup as He described it in Gethsemane. Drink the cup is to the most awful experience of the full wrath of God. And His cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? shows that He underwent our alienation. He's a merciful priest for you. And finally, he's able. He's able. He is able to help those who are being tempted, verse 18. That we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. He is able to sympathize. He is able to come to our need. And the idea of sympathy is like a mother's feeling for her own child or a brother's feeling for his brother, but it includes this idea of active help. Not just feeling, but it includes this this stress on the ability, the the true active helping and powerful helping. And, And the fact that he is so highly exalted through the heavens indicates he is able to help anyone to help the helpless because he is exalted above all things. And so what we have presented in these passages is the constant availability of divine aid. Constant. The constant uh, availability of divine aid. And it means that this mercy is charged with this unique power to accomplish what mercy desires. This is the place of God's powerful presence as well as His grace. And as one has said, this mention of the fact that He's able to help, it never means a mere possibility. It means the powerful activity of God, the powerful activity of Christ that will help you. It's interesting, it says, to help in time of need... And that means a protective help that will never be late. Always on time. Doesn't feel like that sometimes. To help in time of need, when you need it, the help is there. If you trust him, he is yours. And he will pour forth grace from his throne. What can stop a king, when he decides he is going to act on behalf of his people. And that's the priest that you have. A priest who is royal priest. A priest who brings you into the presence of God. A priest who has complete sympathy. A priest full of mercy. A priest full of power to transform your life. He will help the very least and the very weakest I love in verse 16 that we read, when it says, It is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Literally the word is the same as later in Hebrews chapter 9 where he says, I took Israel by the hand and I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And that's what he says here. It's not angels that he takes hold of, but he takes hold of the offspring of Abraham. He takes hold of His people and He draws them into salvation. He draws them into forgiveness. He draws them into transformation. And of course, especially at Christmas, to hear who this Christ is, what was the point of this baby in a manger? It was so this baby would grow up, so this baby would live a perfect life, so this baby would offer himself. So instead of a priest coming into a model of heaven with the blood of an animal, Jesus goes into the true heaven and the true presence of God with his own blood. There's your priest. And I want to ask you, If you reject that priest that God himself has provided, and it's his own son that he provided, what a cost. If you reject that son, that priest, what will you have? What else is going to get you into the presence of God? Will you say, Lord, I appreciate the trouble you went to. I appreciate the fact that you gave your own son. I appreciate the fact that, why? He became a human being and he bore your wrath. But God, I I think I'll get along fine without it. And what's so amazing is that the Father comes to us. And I'm, I'm amazed by those words in 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, We appeal to you as though God were begging through us. I don't know of any more humble statement of God so urgent that he uses human beings to say, won't you be reconciled to me? Won't you accept my son? Won't you come into my presence and enjoy my favor forever, which has been accomplished at such a great cost Won't you enjoy this happiness? And so I urge you, really celebrate Christmas this year. Really celebrate it. Don't turn your nose up at it. Because that's what you'll be doing if you reject this one. You'll be mocking it all. You'll be laughing at it. In the words of Hebrews later, you'll be trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God. But won't you enjoy this presence that you can have through the precious work of Jesus? Let us pray. Lord, how can we honor you? How can we praise you? How can we scale the heights of what you deserve? As the psalmist says that to give you the glory that's due your name, oh Lord, praise, praise you that we have such a priest who would give us access to the Father who would be sympathetic with our weaknesses and our struggle, who would be so merciful, who would be able to change us and to attend to us and to meet every need that we have to grow in the grace of Christ to minister to us in the struggle that we have with sin, with our thought life, with our words, with our treatment of others, with our motives, with our very desires. We feel so helpless. We feel so broken. We feel sometimes that there's no way in the world that we can change. And there, there, you say, come to this throne of grace to find help in time of need. Thank you, Lord, that there will always, always be that grace, the grace of forgiveness, the grace of acceptance in Christ, the grace of transformation, both personally and relationally, the transformation of churches, the transformation of societies for all who will trust you. Oh, bless us, Lord that we will embrace you with all of our heart. pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.
0: Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful.